0: Hey, how's it going? I'm Andy Jones, and this is episode 126 of the Photography Side Hustle podcast. This week's episode is a day late due to two things. First one is Thanksgiving in Canada. The second thing that's delayed the podcast, and that is we're putting in a new window in the kitchen, a window where there wasn't one, and the house was built originally in 1851, and there's about three or four different types of siding that have been put on over the years. One of them was a concrete one. (laughs) <laughs> and it took a little bit of work, so that is why we're a daylight. Anyway, this week's episode is Common mistakes 7. Number 7, I can't believe we've done 7. Anyway, so we'll start with copying other photographers' work too closely. Now, I do think that you need to copy photographers whose work you admire. If that's the kind of style you want to do, aim for it. But copying them constantly without developing your own style isn't that good. Use other photographer's style as a starting point and add to it with your own little quirks that you've got. Everybody's got them. In most cases trying to copy someone else's work isn't easy and you end up with a different result anyway. So if you are copying someone's work and you're intent on doing it exactly the same, don't because you're just wasting your time. Try and add to it. So copy a style but make sure you add your own flair. Next, is not embracing failure. Now, it doesn't matter what you do in life, you have to embrace your failures. If you turn up to a photo session late and your customer is very upset, don't just shrug your shoulders and say, ah, oh, well, you need to accept you're screwed up and figure out why. The most important thing is to avoid doing it again. You don't want to get a reputation. When you have some photos from a session that didn't work out and they just can't be used, you need to figure out why. It's not good to ignore the problem and do the same thing at your next session. You need to find out why it went wrong. If it's technical, figure out the technicalities of it. If it's just laziness or your whatever, if it's you, figure it out and change it. Don't get stressed out about your screw-ups. Well, if you're getting out of bed late, yeah, get stressed out about it and do something about it. If you are getting stressed about your photo screw-ups, Just figure out where you went wrong. It's not hard. Ask online. Someone will help you. Just so that you don't repeat them. Next, we've got unaware of legal considerations. Now, this can be really costly, especially if you live in the US. Not protecting yourself is very dangerous. So make your customers sign a contract that lays out what they are hiring you for and everything that you require from them. You've got to cover everything. Without a contract, you're leaving yourself open to being sued if things don't turn out as expected. If it's written down, you both have the same expectations. If you don't get them to sign something, they're thinking, oh, we're hiring the best photographer in the world. I want 600 unbelievable photos and you just don't deliver it. You're going to get sued by someone at some point, Especially, like I say, especially in the States. No offense, but it's very litigious. Get yourself some business insurance. Have a lawyer check out your contracts if you want. Basic contracts really do work. Uh, If you, I'm saying this, I am not a lawyer, don't sue me. But a good basic contract that just lays out everything. You're hiring me for this amount of hours, for this amount of money. This is what you can expect. You get to pick prints later. Everything's laid out. As long as everything's laid out, you should be good. And get yourself some insurance that will cover you if you mess up. In Canada, they call it error and emissions insurance. But don't ignore the legal side of your business just because it scares you. Go for it. Get it sorted out. It's not that difficult. Now, I might have done this one before, but I'm putting it in anyway. I don't care. Not using a tripod or monopod. Now, there's plenty of times when you need to use either of these. In low-light situations, putting your camera on a tripod will allow you to use a slower shutter speed without the risk of getting your subjects blurry. If you want to shoot sports, consider using a monopod. Lenses with focal lengths of 200mm and higher are heavy, and using a monopod takes a strain away from using them. Especially if it's like an 8-10 to 10 hour day and you're just stuck out there in the heat. You'll need one. And the monopod also reduces the risk of blurry images. Next, ignoring depth of field. If you've listened to me waffle on about depth of field, you'll know how important it is. If you're not sure what depth of field is, listen to episode 63, Aperture and Depth of Field, that was put out on July the 10th, 2022. By controlling the depth of field, it allows you to make your subject the center of attention. Now, here's an example. If you're taking a portrait with a 50mm lens of a couple sitting on a farm gate, And behind them, about 50 feet away, are some trees. If you used F18 aperture, everything from right in front of you and all the way to the trees would be in focus. The couple would be blended into the background and they wouldn't be, there'd be no separation, and you need the separation with a portrait. If you know how to use depth of field and how it works, you would use, say, F4 so that the couple is in sharp focus and everything in the background will be soft and blurry. This makes the couple the centre of attention in the image. Your eye just goes straight to them, and that is what you want. So don't ignore depth of field. The next mistake, and I'm sure I've done this one as well in the past, but it just bugs the heck out of me. If you want to make money as a photographer, you need a portfolio and a website to put it on. Without the website and portfolio combo, you're going to struggle to convince anyone to book you. There isn't much more to say about this apart from you need to get a website and a portfolio as soon as possible. The end. Okay. Next, not engaging in the photography community. Now, the community could be online or in person. So online like Facebook groups or any other social media platforms that you're on or in person. Back in 2008, I had a studio and I decided to start a local strobist group. Now, strobist was a website all about off-camera flash and it was set up by photojournalist David Hobby. I think the website is closed now. He's not added to it in a long, long time. So there was lots of local photographers on Flickr. So I invited them to join me and try out different off-camera flash techniques and we set up a local strobist group. Now, there were 10 or 12 people that turned up and it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I thought we'd all be discussing it. I do this, I do that, you know, and we'd all get things from each other. But none of them could shoot in manual mode. I was absolutely, I was blown away. They all used auto. So the first meeting basically was me teaching them how to shoot in manual mode. And the second week, I don't think, I think half of them them turned up, but they we trying, you know, they really went for it. So I was pleased with that. But anyway, I ended up hiring one of the girls that came. She was pretty good with Photoshop. I showed her what I wanted and I hired her for events when I was doing the figure skating events and that kind of thing. Another guy who I found really interesting was a diving instructor and he took photos of shipwrecks and on his vacations, he would go to the Caribbean and take pictures of shipwrecks. And they were incredible. Now, I can understand why he was, you know, using auto down there. It's not like you can, you know, bounce flash or use off-camera flash down there. You know, the umbrellas get very wet. But his work, God, they were just incredible. I was fascinated with him. And I still check his work out every so often today. I, uh, I just love it. Anyway, so by opening myself up to the local photography community, I made a contact. I got someone to work for me. There was quite a few of them that I still see today and we chat. By not being part of a photography community, you're going to miss out on opportunities to learn, share, collaborate with other photographers. So make a point of being part of the photography community. It really does help you move on. If you need to know anything, you just ask and the friends and they'll help you. Okay, the next one is something I see quite a lot and that is over-editing. That is where the editing has gone so far that the whites and the blacks have no detail at all. Or as people call it, they say it's blown out. The whites are blown out. When you're editing, you need to preserve the details in the shadows and the highlights. You also need to make the subject stand out from the background. But if you overdo it, they look like a bad Photoshop edition. Like someone has taken their picture from some other picture and just thrown it in there and it's not. it just looks awful you go way too far. So keep an eye out for the whites and the blacks. That is the highlights and the shadows. The whites are your highlights, the blacks are the shadows, and make sure that you have detail in them. Now, if you're shooting raw, which you should be doing, you can bring the detail back into the blacks. If if you look at your histogram, if it's too far to the right or too far to the left, you'll lose all the detail in the blacks and the whites. So. Make sure that you have detail in them when you take the photo, but when you're editing, just don't go crazy and just keep an eye out for the detail in the whites. You'll see it. It just looks like um, when it's gone too far, it's just like f- icing or frosting on a cake. It's just blur. There's no detail. It's just white, white, white. It's too much. Or if you go too far with the blacks, there's no detail. And that is definitely not what you want to be doing. Okay not using a polarizing filter. Now I'm not saying you've got to use this all the time. There are lots of times though when a variable polarizing filter is needed. They help reduce the glare, reduce reflections, and they enhance the colors. So you get deeper reds, nicer blues, everything looks richer. Now if you're taking a portrait next to a white-sided building and it's a sunny day, or any surface that's bouncing the light in your scene, Try using a variable polarizer. It screws onto the front of your lens and you can turn it and you can make it stronger, more polarization or less. You'll be able to see what it looks like through your viewfinder or in, in your LCD screen. Landscape photographers use them a lot. Now say shooting a waterfall, a pond or a river with a polarizer will remove the glare from the surface and allow you to capture things under water. So if there's some weeds underwater, instead of it all being white and glary on the surface, you'll be able to capture the weeds at the bottom of the lake. Well not if it's really deep, no, but you know. You'll be able to see into the water. And you get that same effect that you do when you're wearing polarized sunglasses. Everything loses that glare and you can see way down into the water. Like I said, when you're using a variable polarizer, you can change the amount of polarization as needed. The colors are gonna be more vibrant, creating more contrast in your image. So instead of taking photos with too much glare, the sun is high in the sky and you're shooting someone in the open, use a polarizer and it'll cut all that glare and you'll get a better quality image. Next one is neglecting maintenance. Now. Not looking after your equipment leads to reduced image quality and not being able to work at 100% efficiency. The obvious things are cleaning your lenses, cleaning your camera sensor, just cleaning your camera. But you need to look after everything that you use. Now I've used in the past, when I first got into sports, I used a cheap monopod and it kept sliding down while I was shooting at one event. And I missed so many shots because I was constantly trying to adjust this thing all because I tried to save some money on a crappy monopod. When I did buy a good monopod, I always carried an Allen key in my bag so I could tighten the locks when it was needed. You'd feel them just slide slightly, pull out the Allen key when you get a slight break, tighten them up, and you're good to go again. My first camera bag was used until it fell apart, which wasn't good because it was in the middle of a session. The zipper locked up when fully opened so I had a backpack full of lenses and accessories that I had to carry <laughs> with my cameras over my shoulder as carefully as I could as we walked from one location to the another location in this park that we were shooting in. And it was just a disaster, I felt such an idiot. The other thing is, I knew it was close to failing as I'd been having trouble with it for a few weeks. Now, if I'd have been shooting a wedding when that happened, I would have been in big trouble, like really big trouble. So make sure your equipment is working properly. Don't take a risk and hope it makes it through a session. Replace anything that is not looking good or repair it. Clean everything that needs to be clean and stay on top of your equipment. Right, that is common mistake seven. Like I say every week, if you need help with anything, you can find me in the Facebook group or through Facebook Messenger um, Right, I'll be back next week with an old camera bag full of waffle. Probably the camera bag that where the zipper broke, actually. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.